Hey everybody, welcome to the fifth episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. I'm your host Luke, here with my co-host Perry. What's going on Perry? Not much man, we uh, just got off the phone with Anthony a little while ago, had our had our interview with him, that was some, that was some really good stuff, and uh, now I'm excited about this next interview we got going on, so glad to have um, glad to have our next guest joining us here. Yeah, absolutely. We're sitting here with uh, Perry's brother, my other cousin, Evan. He's coming in, he's, or he's calling in from uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, so what's going on, Evan? Glad to have you. Hey, thanks, man. Not much. Uh, just been hanging out today, trying to catch up, getting uh, some stuff moved from storage and into the house after a deployment here. So been pretty busy on this four-day weekend. How are y'all? Pretty much the same. Just trying to play catch up as we uh, crank out a bunch of podcasts to kind of get them lined up in the to have banked up before I go to the field for a couple of weeks here in uh, February. And then same trying to catch up on all these projects. Perry, I think's putting in uh putting in a pull-up bar this weekend, aren't you, Perry? Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Made the made the trip to the hardware store earlier today and I'm gonna start digging the holes, setting the concrete for the post, get a little hopefully get a little outdoor uh workout set up in the backyard there and then uh getting ready for another busy week of work. So that's nice. that's what my weekends looked like. Sounds good, man. Can't definitely can't go wrong with a pull-up bar. I, I was uh talking to someone. Actually, it's pretty funny. You said that uh, I was talking to one of my buddies yesterday, or no, two days ago, and we were talking about during the workouts during COVID, and he was saying that if he had one extra piece of exercise equipment to work out at home, it would be a pull-up bar. Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's gonna be gonna be good stuff for me. So hoping to uh, hoping to maybe dial up my my uh, weight on my on my bow for this next upcoming season so figured i better start doing some upper body stuff try to get ready for that yeah definitely uh pull-up bars are, are pretty key there if you have a pull-up bar you know a weight vest sandbag kettlebell you can have a pretty you know small footprint gym and do pretty much everything you could want to do but we'll go ahead and uh jump into the episode here and just a little bit of background about you know perry evan and i we, we've talked about it a little bit and touched on it you've heard us mention evan but we all grew up uh, Evan and I are a month apart. Perry's 18 months older than us. So we all grew up very close. Um, we're basically brothers. Like I'm Uncle Luke to their kids. Whenever I have kids, they'll be Uncle Perry and Uncle Evan. We're, we're, we're close as hell. And so it's been really awesome as I've kind of launched this journey of Hunt, Lift, Eat to have them to lean on, to bounce ideas off of, to tell me when I'm being a dumbass and, and kind of getting a little too idea oriented. And so they've been, I mean, they were like the first two team members. They're the first guys I approached with this, with this idea. And they were both probably had some doubts, but uh, we're definitely supportive from day one. So very lucky to have these, these guys. And it's been awesome to, to be able to tie them into this podcast. Evan, with his deployment rotations, he deploys pretty frequently, decided not to have him be a, a regular as a, a host, but he's going to be on pretty frequently as a, as a guest, a reoccurring guest going forward. He bought the equipment so he can, uh, be kind of a series regular here but Evan why don't you uh we've already talked about Perry's background and obviously they're gonna be pretty similar but why don't you kind of do a deep dive on what your life was like growing up and how it really revolved around hunting fishing and the outdoors yeah man um so same as Perry obviously grew up in um, northwest North Carolina southwest Virginia so the house me and Perry grew up in is about a three-minute drive from the uh, Virginia North Carolina state line and then our family farm is in Southwest Virginia. Um, and it's one of those things that I, I always took for granted growing up. We didn't realize how fortunate we were to have that much access to private land for hunting and fishing. Um, and then also, uh, it's not private land, obviously, but the New River runs right through there, basically um, between 
our mom's house and the uh, family farm um, was talking about. So we just had so many advantages growing up from a young age. Our dad uh, took us out hunting, fishing. Uh, me and Perry spent hours with dad on the New River, catching smallmouth and stuff growing up. I mean, and that's quite literally the two minute drive from mom's house. Um, so had the big fishing background. And then as we got older, you know, we were able to carry uh, rifles or even before we were able to carry guns, dad would bring us to the squirrel woods with him and we would follow him around and um, watch him squirrel hunt. And I was super intrigued by that from an early age, for whatever reason, squirrel hunting was like super fun for me. But as we got older, we started hunting, carrying our own guns. And it, I mean, it stuck like glue. It was immediate obsession uh, for me. And I know it was the same for Perry, probably more so for Perry because he shot a wall hanger nine pointer as his first damn deer. But uh, um, from there, it, it was, I mean, it was, we were, we were hooked. Um, as we got older, we, you know, took it a little, little further, I guess. And the, the obsession or the, the hobbies grew into other things. And we started um, trying to get into, uh, with dad, uh, some quality white tail deer management. And we learned a little bit about that, but it was still, you know, it was still very, we didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, so moving forward a little bit, we, Perry moved off to college. I was kind of trying to figure out my life, uh, track there, I guess. Military was always an option. Of course, you Luke were going to Virginia Tech and ROTC. I decided I was going to pursue the military and I was going to try to do the officer route like you. Um, I didn't, I did pretty well in high school, um, but I didn't try in high school. So I decided because of my study habits, I was going to go to Withville, Virginia and uh, go to the community college there and kind of take it easy for two years and develop some study habits that I did not in high school. Um, and then go to Virginia Tech, transfer to Virginia Tech where you and Perry were at the time and become an officer. Well, after one year of college, it solidified for me that I hated it. I, again, I did well. I just, I was miserable in school. It just didn't stick. Um, it was something that I didn't want to do. And plus I saw the war dying down and I really did want to, want to serve and want to fight. Um, and so I finished out the semester. I didn't drop out. I, well, I finished out the school year, sorry. Um, and enlisted in the army. It took me about 11 months from the time I finished school to actually ship. Obviously I signed my contract before that, but I didn't ship until January of, um, 2011 for basic. And then been in the, so I just hit my 10 year mark actually. Um, but before that, you know, the, the physical side of things, the workout side of things, I was, a uh, I loved playing football, same as Luke, um, football kind of consumed me in high school, that and shop classes, agricultural classes, welding and whatnot. And, um, so I had that background. So that was easy for me to transition into the the physical side of the military. Um, I'm a little, little better built for running than Luke is, but, uh, so I, I remember on a previous podcast, you were talking about how much you hate running Luke or how hard it was for you and your buddy to, to make that transition into the military world. It, it definitely was. It was a, it was kind of a wake up call for me. I was, I was used to, you know, doing sprints and being pretty fast for a, for a big guy. I played inside linebacker, um, short, but pretty thick with a couple C's there. And yeah. uh, it was, uh, it was definitely a, a transition to learn that I needed to be able to run, you know, two miles, five miles, even, you know, six, seven miles. Yeah. That's super true, man. The military puts a, almost an unrealistic, um, precedent. They're kind of getting away from that now a little bit more, but I mean, and especially in 
in my entire career. It's, it's almost like if you can run, if you're a runner, you're automatically a stellar soldier, which is completely untrue, obviously. But um, going back into like the, the background after I joined, I stayed hunting and fishing, um, moved to Florida and then to Texas. And I was at a conventional unit at Fort Hood, Texas. I decided that is not what I wanted to do um, for 20 years. And I dropped a packet and got out of there um, and then assessed for a unit that I'm currently in now. Um, and I've been here for, let's see, six years. Uh, yeah, six years. And about to go on, well, not about to, but this summer I'll be going on my, oh man, I can't even count them. Let's see, sixth, seventh deployment, sixth deployment. Um, and so it's been a, it's been a really, it's been a really good time. The military's um, I've enjoyed it a lot, but uh, it's it's definitely one of those things you you get out of it what you put into it, and um, I've enjoyed the unit I'm in. It's I'm super busy, and you know one of the results of that is it's it's definitely taken me away from the woods. Um, I've missed hunting season the last four years prior to this one. I caught the very tail end of this one, which I was super thankful for. Um, but through through that, it's still you know I've I've been super grateful for. A lot of the other opportunities I've got, but yeah, it's kind of a, a background on me there. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've missed the, you know, the past four hunting seasons kind of ex- explain like what that was like and what that's, you know, your motivation, how that's motivated you to get kind of deeper into hunting going forward. Because I know on my second deployment, I missed the entire fall and it was, it was pretty rough. It was the first full hunting season. I think I'd missed in my life. And, uh, you know, that was when my little brother James killed that monster nine pointer, um, yeah. just with sheer dumb, dumb luck. But uh, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, it was a great deer, one of the biggest deer killed on our property. And I was, I was really ha- uh, happy for him, but it, it definitely kind of hit me like, shit, man, I'm missing this. And I felt like I hadn't up to that point taken advantage of all the hunting opportunities I had. And that's when I really decided to start hunting Fort Campbell, hunting with different, you know, weapons, getting, you know, kind of expanding how much I was hunting, not just focusing on those, that couple weeks in November. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. It's, it's the first season I missed. I've, I felt like something was wrong. Like, it, you know, you feel, can feel that change in the air and fall starts coming in and you get that excitement. Um, and I got that excitement in Afghanistan and, and granted I was having a good time while I was overseas and definitely was not bored, but, um, it's still, it's, I still miss the woods and it, it's one of the biggest things. And I think honestly, one of the things that was the hardest about it was I didn't realize, I mean, I did realize, but I didn't, it didn't really register to me how much meat I was getting from that. And then how much I was missing by not, cause I mean, growing up, we were killing, I don't know what do you think, Perry, between, I mean, there were several seasons where I, we completely got our limit, you know, I mean, I killed six deer one year. I know you killed like, I killed four one year. You killed like four, then dad killed like three, you know, we had so much meat, we were giving it away. But then after joining and then deploying and missing that, I, the meat crisis was one of the biggest things that I, I hated. Um, and so then from there, also missing it for my hunting season for four years, it's made me really want to expand uh, the opportunities I have to get in the woods. So for example, like, you know, y'all talked about, rifle hunting was what we grew up doing and what kind of the focus was in just a few, few weeks out of the year, it was enough for 
then, but now, um, like I just ordered a bow. I'm waiting on it to get here. My girlfriend just got a bow. Um, I know y'all got into archery the last few years. It's one of those things that definitely solidified that I wanted to expand my hunting season and just my outdoor recreation outside of work because I'm, am forced to miss so much of that due to work. Yeah, I definitely understand that. I think that with the, the army military, but the army, especially it's, it's, it can be all consuming. If you let it be, it'll absorb your entire life. And I think it's, it's fairly unhealthy. And you see a lot of guys where they don't have any outlets outside of the military. All they do is focus on army, army, army. And like, it's good to have that dedication to your craft and to understand and, and know what you're doing and to really have a passion for it. But you'd need something else. Cause if you don't, I think that's where a lot of guys have issues after the military is when it's been their entire life and their whole life is revolved around this one thing. And then they get out of the army and they don't have anything else. Yeah. And when I see guys that have a successful transition as I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I've considered transitioning out, you know, prior to, you know, the 20 year mark. And so as I try to set myself up for that, I see guys and I try to look at guys that are successful and guys that are unsuccessful. And it seems like the successful guys have that outlet, whether it's, you know, shooting, whether it's hunting, fishing, you know, biking, uh, mountain biking, rock climbing, any of these things, like you, you need to have that outlet. I think, I think it helps keep you sane. What are your I thoughts couldn't, on that? I couldn't agree more, man. I honestly think that I could get rid of a few hobbies. I mean, I, uh, between riding dirt bikes, fishing, hunting, now, you know, getting a bow, shooting. Um, I do the real estate investing on the side, which is that just that right there, looking for houses and stuff. You can spend an entire day uh, before you know it on the computer. Um, and then, you know, I do woodworking on the side, make some rustic furniture. And I'm one of those guys that I have to I have a hard time sitting still and turning on Netflix for hours on end. Um, I have to do something to keep my hands busy, but I do completely agree, man. There's a, there's a massive portion of the military that gets out and they don't know what to do. And there's, I've talked, I've got buddies that have got out, especially buddies in the soft community. And, you know, they do their first enlistment or their first two enlistments and they get out after four to eight years. And because they, they know that they didn't want to do it for a career but they went so hard for so long. And then that transition to the civilian world, they just don't really know how to make that transition because just like you say, the military consumed the mass majority of their time. They didn't, they didn't spend the time, you know, maybe, maybe that's part of it. I'm not sure, but I do know there's a large number of my buddies who have told me that they wish they would have never got out because of that. So. Yeah. I mean, for sure. When you don't have anything else to really go to, the grass always seems greener. I mean, we, we talk about the big green machine and all that and in it, it is, and it'll chew you up and spit you out, but there's security and there's camaraderie and you're at least with like-minded guys. And with that, you know, brings a blanket of, of security. And so once that's gone, if you don't have an outlet or something to jump directly into, it can be a hard transition. And I think that's really where guys, you know, I'm speaking in general terms here. Every case is, is different and, and it's not a blanket for, for all folks, but guys, they don't have that and they don't have a support system. And that's when they start finding themselves issues with, you know, depression, uh, you know, substance abuse, alcoholism. And then I think it's a contributing factor to the, to the veteran suicide stuff. And so it's cause you, you don't feel, and it's not to say that like, Oh, if you just had a hobby, none of this would happen. Like it's, it's way more complicated than that. But I do think having an outlet and having a network of people, because once you're out of the army, 
you know, I have guys, friends that get out and it's, it's hard to keep track. And so like you, you might think like, I'm gonna have these friends forever, but once you're out, like the army keeps going. And so all your buddies that were in, it's not that they forget about you, but it's hard to keep in touch. And so if you don't have a family or if you don't have a friend uh, system that's already set up, it, it can be pretty isolating and make you feel pretty alone. Yeah, dude, I, I completely agree. And it's, it's funny you actually said that because uh, Perry just sent me a link to a podcast that I was listening and that got me into um, a rabbit hole of a podcast and YouTube videos and doing some research online. And I found some interesting information that actually in the soft community, the suicide rate is higher. Um, and for those listeners that don't know what I mean by soft community, I mean special operations in the mil- inside the military. Um, and that, that caught me off guard. I expected that percentage to be lower than like the big army, but the, it seems the explanation for that, there is a portion of what you're talking about. And it's the constantly going, 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 going. It's the, you know, the dudes that are, I mean, there's some guys I've worked with and by the time they retired, they had over 33 combat rotations, which is just absolutely insane. Um, and granted you're, you're doing shorter month stints, you know, you're, you're only going for, uh, about four months at a time, depending on, on what, you know, what branch and who you're talking about, what organization you're talking about. But that being said, when you come home, you know, even for me, like I spend, I get a, on a, on a normal training cycle, um, out of a 12 month year, I get about three and a half to four months stateside or sorry, at home. What I mean by at home is like physically in my address. Um, and that's because we're on the road doing so many trainings and then obviously the deployment. Um, and so it's taxing, man. And I, that number and that statistic caught me off guard and I don't remember the percentages, so I'm not going to speak in, uh, ignorantly and throw out some arbitrary numbers there, but I was surprised that it was higher in the soft community than conventional army or conventional military. Yeah, it's a big issue. Um, you know, in a lot of guys, I think the good thing is, is there's podcasts and there's guys having the discussions at a, I listen to the Fieldcraft survival podcast a lot with Mike Glover and Mike talks about how he had a gun in his mouth. I mean, this dude was, uh, he, he, he talks about all this on his podcast. Like he was in the unit for a little while, but he, I mean, he was a, a SIF team guy for most of his career in special forces as an operator during the height of, uh, Iraq and all the, uh, you know, counterinsurgency hits we were doing where they were doing like, you know, seven fucking hits a night. So he was in used to this fast paced tempo where he's doing this crazy, you know, back-to-back deployment rotations and doing all this like super high-speed shit. And then you go and it just grinds to an extreme halt and he's sat there and he's ruined, you know, through work and through, you know, whatever, all all the relationships with the, the women in his life. And that's a common theme is you see guys that struggle with, you know, their marriages, their family, their home life and that balance because it's really hard. And then it is hard. It's very hard. And then it, it results in, you know, being alone once you get out. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why the team is so important to me. And we're not all vets. There's a, there's a lot of guys on the team that aren't military, but I'd say, I think the majority of them over half are, and that's, you know, I want to bring in guys that are like-minded and that have that background, but you can also like tie in. Cause like our team, when I mean, we're pretty close, we talked about it in the last episode or a couple episodes ago, Perry and I did about how close the team is already, especially for guys that never even met. Like we talk, pretty much daily. And I think that that's, that's a real benefit. And I'm, I'm wanting to provide that and make sure that I have it for myself as well. And then for you and for all the other guys, so we have a, we have a few other special operations guys uh, on the team and, and making sure that we all have a family that's going to be there once we transition out, that's going to be beyond the military and beyond, you know, you know, the short term. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. And the being the the hunt life eat uh, team member thing has been has been great, you know. And I, it it has been really cool to see that uh, the team has become close. I mean, <laughs> my you know our group chat blowing up constantly, and you know it's it's pretty good and it's pretty awesome, man. It's it's good to see. And, you know, going back to what you said at the beginning of this, it, I don't want to say I was skeptical, but it was definitely like when you brought up the the hunt, lift, eat idea. I was kind of like, all right, man, like, I'll see where this goes. And, we, you know, we busted your balls a little bit and gave you some shit for taking selfies and deer stands. But, dude, I mean, look where it is. And that's that's super awesome. And uh, definitely very, very proud of you. And this thing is cool to see. Like, for example, I was in the gym, man, and I'm wearing a shirt. And this guy was like, oh, dude, I just followed that page. And I was like, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, are you a vet? He said, yeah. He worked at the the gym that me and my girlfriend go to. And so I gave him the the veteran discount code. And I guess he's going to put in an order or whatnot. But, I mean, it's taken off. And that's just no other way around it. And that's awesome, man. Good to be a part of it. Yeah, man. It's it's pretty wild to see when uh, I've had friends, like, shoot me messages or, like, stories from their friends in the military that I, and I don't know these guys. And they're, like, sharing our stuff or they just got some of our swag or one of the flags in their home gym. And it's like, damn, this is, like – really starting to take off and it's wild i haven't seen any of our gear like out on the streets yet like in an airport or something but when that happens that's going to be a cool moment i'm going to go get a picture with that guy you know that'll be pretty sweet yeah that would be man that'd be really cool yeah but it, and it is funny like i there was a lot of skepticism um from the family i mean hell there's a lot of skepticism from my wife i mean she's really supportive but it, you know she's probably a lot more conservative with the best investing and, and spending money on that sort of thing and like i'm very aggressive i throw money after stuff all the time trying to trying to you know invest and um not to get too in the weeds on that stuff but i think even though there was a lot of skepticism from the family and i knew it was there but nobody would really like say it to my face which is it's good because they they want to be you know supportive even though they, they might not have believed that this was going to be anything and they all supported me like without my family you know buying stuff early on and then my friends especially friends i hadn't talked to in a long time jumping in there and ordering stuff we definitely wouldn't have made it i mean perry's probably got some uh, some funny comments on you know how we started and the skepticism well it was funny because you know and and we touched on this a little bit before but like evan said we there was definitely some skepticism and and it was nothing new for evan and i to hear some you know new yeah. exciting cockamamie idea from luke about you know the next way he was going to create a million bucks out of thin air so um, but it was, you know, and, and same with the family in, in, I'm still, I'm still waiting for that million dollars out of thin air, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if apparel's the avenue for that. No, probably not. Probably not at the end of the day, but none of us were surprised just knowing, you know, your entrepreneurial kind of endeavors that you, that you've come up with in the past and kind of continue to. And, and that's something that, uh, I think has been, has been cool to see. And then, you know, you fast forward to, to like Evan said, where we are today for him, for him to be in the gym working out. And have a guy comment about the uh, the shirt and say he's following the page to see the support we've gotten with the podcast thus far. It's been cool, and I'm I'm personally glad that that uh, Evans back stateside now to be part of some of the some of the hunting uh, adventures. Um, you know, at least for the end of this season, and, and hopefully going forward a little bit more this coming year with some of the hunts y'all have planned. Uh, that's going to be good stuff. Yeah, man, I'm super excited about it. It was uh, I, it kind of like our childhood man where the, growing up being so close the three of us there was always someone left out i'm definitely like not to sound like a you know what but kind of felt like shit these dudes are at the farm i'm missing hunting season i'm there for all the work in the off season and i just see the pictures you know from during the season it's definitely sucked but it's also 
it's also understandable. You know, it's no one's fault. Um, it's just the way it is, but it's been super good to be back and be, uh, you know, we had that weekend up at the farm with all three of us and Anthony was able to come up, man. It was, it was super good time. Yeah. I mean, that, that's been the hardest part, I think with the, having the team and you guys being the core is like, you just get left out because of the proximity and, you know, it's hard to sit and have a long conversation through Skype or through Facebook uh, video into a shitty internet when you're overseas. And so like a lot of the plans you just haven't been, you know, really privy to. And so that's what I really like about the fact that we're taking this to the the next level and then adding the podcast in and being able to tie you in a lot more. And, and who knows if we, if you've got a decent signal, you might even be able to do a, uh, a recording from Afghanistan at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so, man. I mean, Normally, I'm kind of spoiled where I usually have Wi-Fi in my room, so it would definitely be worth trying to do that. I'll take all my stuff. Yeah, that would be awesome. So uh, what do you – I mean, obviously, you know some of the plans for HLE going forward. What do you think is the most exciting part of this and the journey? Like, what, where do you see – and how do you see yourself factoring into that? Yeah, man. So, well, honestly, I think the podcast, it kind of, I don't want to say it caught me off guard, but it definitely was, it surprised me, but surprised me in the fact that I was like, oh shit, that's freaking awesome, man. Like that's, that's going to be cool. And of course it's like anything new. I mean, we, we had this conversation in the tool shed that we'll see what happens, you know, but that's, that's super cool that, uh, I mean, the fact that you got that much feedback when you put it out there on the good old interwebs and people were super receptive to the idea of a HLE podcast, um, so that's been really exciting. And then also, obviously, um, it it kind of just motivates me to, I don't want to say that, you know, say the word motivate, I guess, but it, it, it encourages me to to get out there and do more things. So for example, it's easy to get comfortable with, with being at Fort Bragg and just driving up the mountain and, you know, going and hunting on the family farm, but trying new things like the, the hog hunts, the Western hunts, you know, I've been trying to um, go on an elk hunt with one of my buddies that I work with, Chad, um, and who's also come up to our farm and hunt. And it just hasn't panned out because of deployments and other issues. And it's, it's killed me. So I, I think that, you know, this is just one more layer of things for me that'll help encourage me to, to get out there more, um, with hunting and fishing. And, and then also, uh, <laughs> it was funny. I kind of had a little self-reflection moment when, in uh, one of the podcasts you talked about earlier and you said, if you're not, if you're not working out uh, with a plan, you're just working out, you're not training. And I was like, dang, that's a, it's a pretty go ahead and attack me on a personal level there, Luke, but <laughs> um, no, it's so true. So it kind of, you know, it's another thing that encourages me to stay motivated in the gym. Um, you know, obviously I, I have to stay fit for my job, but then set those training goals, set those physical goals, not, not just work related goals or, you know, entrepreneurial goals with making money or anything else, but staying, staying up on everything. It's just been it's all in all, all of it's been exciting, but I would have to say the the podcast and then kind of the, the motivation of missing hunting seasons has driven me to kind of expand my hunting seasons with other things other than rifle whitetail season in Grayson County, Virginia. Yeah, I agree hundred percent with that. I think, um, you know, Luke and I've been joking, I, shit it's probably been months since I've actually gone for a run. And after listening to him and Pete talk the other day, it's like, man, I gotta, I gotta get my ass back out there and start, start hitting the pavement again. And, you know, the, hopefully that's the kind of thing that, that this podcast can continue to provide for people. And then, you know, dude, I think you're really gonna, 
enjoy once you get your bow and you pick that thing up and and then you also had the opportunity to hunt uh you know an entirely expanded season you know us not growing up bow hunters um you know evan and our our dad was never really that big into bow hunting and with with his work uh that was kind of a busy time of year for him anyway so he just never made that a priority therefore kind of by default we didn't either and for me personally this year um, you know, I, I got access to a new piece of property not far from my house and being able to go and drive 15 minutes and pick up a bow in early October and, you know, try to hunt some deer was just like, man, what have I, what have I been missing out on that? And, you know, testing to, to my wife because she's been holding the fort down, um, here with the two little ones. Yeah. I probably hunted harder this year than I ever have before. And dude, I think it's, I think as soon as you pick up that bow and start shooting that, it's going to be the same for you and the opportunities and it's just going to light that fire even harder. So that's going to be cool to see. Yeah, man, I'm super pumped. It's been, <laughs> it's been torture because uh, my girlfriend ordered a bow and got hers here and I'm just waiting on mine. But yeah, like that bow hunting journey, man. So when I mentioned earlier, the deployment, uh, fuck, I got home in 2017. And so that I came home, you can't hunt with rifles on Fort Campbell. And so I grabbed a, a slug shotgun and then a bow and just kind of like hit the ground running shot every day got pretty obsessive with it there was a bow shop really close to my house and not far from Campbell and so I would take my lunch breaks and go to the bow shop and shoot at 20 every day and it was just awesome there's an old boy that worked in there who was super cool I would just you know sit and chew the fat with him and you know there's a cool culture around bow hunting too but I worked so (laughs) I talk about this in the past but like taking going from hunting our family farm with a rifle to then trying to hunt public land at Fort Campbell, I realized very quickly, I did not know much about hunting. Yeah. I knew, you know, you know, the patterns, we know where the deer are going to be for the most part and killing does. And like, when you factor in public land, troop rotations, troop movements, like it, I learned so much in that one season, I hunted harder and more days in the woods and I killed one doe with my bow. And that was like the most, one of the most still to this day, one of the most rewarding experiences of my life because I just put so much into it. And that was a fucking trophy dove to me, man. And so like, I'm really excited to see you and you should grab one of the, uh, I've got an extra climber. I was just thinking about this at the cabin. You should take it. And so you can hunt, run a mobile setup at, uh, at, at Bragg and start hunting on Bragg. Cause I mean, it's, it's tough there after talking to John, but there's some pretty yeah. big deer on Bragg. Yeah, man, for sure. And I was actually just about to bring John drop John's name because, um, it's one of those things that, like you said, going from hunting our family farm, that's, you know, we grew up with and know where the deer move and know the layout of the land. And it's only us going from that to public land. I can't, like, I, I truly can't imagine that because I've never hunted public land before, but talking to John, you know, when he was here at Bragg and we would go out bow fishing or just hanging out and, you know, during turkey season, um, he came up to the farm and hunted with us, uh, hunted with me and Perry a few times. Um, but then also he would, he would hunt here on Bragg and he said that he would literally have to get up at like two or three in the morning just to get parking at some of the spots. And almost, even though there, it wasn't like first come first served by the book, the way he described it made it seem like because of how the parking situation was and how many people were in the woods, that if you didn't get there early, then you weren't going to have a spot to dag up turkey hunt. And he said that there was multiple times when he would be in the, in the woods, turkey hunting, and then, you know, someone would come in and wouldn't see him because he's all camoed up and being still, but they would post up close to where he was. And man, like that's a, that's a different world for me. And that's going to be something that I have to get used to. And I'm sure it'll be the same for deer season here. Cause there is a, there is a big population of hunters on Fort Bragg. Um, 
which kind of surprises me because it's not, you know, the middle part of North Carolina isn't exactly what you think of when you think of wildlife habitat, but there, there's a lot of hunters here, man. Well, I had a, I had a similar experience last season when, uh, you know, Ian and I, Ian, my brother-in-law, when we went out and hunted a little bit of public land and, you know, I did a little bit of, a little bit of desktop recon, uh, e-scouting as it were. And, and, you know, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff anyway, looking at maps. That's always been something, you know, I kind of do that for, for my job. And so I, you know, I kind of had a couple spots picked out and I was like, all right, we need to, we need to go through, you know, all the way back down, down by the river and down through all this thick stuff. And, and we got there early and I figured, you know, we'd probably be the, the only dudes there. And sure enough, we pull up and there's trucks on the side of the road all the way around the bend and the entire way down, you know, probably took us an hour or more to hike down in there. And we're just tripping over dudes the entire time. It's like, golly, this is a, this is an absolute different animal than the spoiled environment that we grew up in. So, yeah. And, and the word spoiled is right, man. I mean, it's, it's something that I didn't, I truly didn't realize how lucky we were until I moved away. <laughs> yeah. I was in the exact same boat, man. When it's such a blessing and I'm even, you know, luckier in the fact that I have my dad's side as well. And I don't, I don't do a lot of hunting out there cause we do have at least out to some hunters and, and I'm allowed to, but I just never want to spoil their hunts. But we did just acquire a, a new 40 acres. That's not in that. And so I think we're going to do some development on trying to set up some, I got some cameras out and we're going to try to get uh, some mineral and some stuff in the off season to develop that. And it's just, it's a lot of fun to be able to have that piece. That's kind of your own that you can manage and, and do what you want to with it and, and mold it. And that kind of sets us up for in a couple of weeks or hell when this drops, it'll probably be like the next weekend or, or two weeks later, we're going to go up to Virginia for a work weekend. I'm flying back East and Perry and Evan are going to come in and we're going to be doing a lot of uh, kind of management stuff. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm really excited for that weekend for sure. Especially because, you know, we're doing the, the mineral thing and we have a, our to-do list. It might be longer than our time we're going to have there, but regardless, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for that. Yeah, same here. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we did, let's see, we did that one little food plot um, that we kind of started last year. And, you know, just for, for our listeners to give a little quick background while, while this kind of came up is, you know, that property was kind of run by, you know, our grandfather. And uh, since he passed probably what, 20 something years ago, Mm -hmm. it really hasn't been managed that well, uh, if at all, particularly not for, for wildlife other than just really the little bit that, that we've done, uh, you know, here and there as we can, you know, our uncle a little bit as well. And so we've, we've always, you know, had some, some plans and, and it's going to be cool to see because just this year with that little plot we put in, you know, we got that camera set up and it was amazing. Some of the, uh, some of the, the activity that we saw in that little area. And that was actually that, you know, that was the spot that I ended up killing, killing my first archery deer was that doe in that spot, which was, like you said, Luke, I mean, just absolutely one of the most rewarding uh, hunts that I can remember. Also one of the most expensive, by the way. That doe cost me more than any other damn deer ever has. But um, uh, well, Why? Explain that for me. Because I had to buy a bow. I oh, bought, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I bought, dude, I went, I went whole hog. I bought the bow. I got the saddle set up, um, the whole nine. I mean, so that, that ended up being an expensive deer. So it's going to be exciting to see what we can do and, and start that process with this work weekend we have coming up. Cause like you said, the, the list of stuff to do is long and we've all got these grandiose plans. And I think, I think if we can actually, you know, invest a little time and effort into making some of this stuff come to fruition, it's going to be exciting to, uh, to see what we can get. 
Yeah, the key's going to be to start drinking early so we don't stay up all night coming off to, after, uh, you know, dry January. <laughs> well, uh, if it makes you feel better, I'm drinking a beer right now. So while y'all are doing dry January. Screw you, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm drinking a LaCroix. I'm drinking about 12 LaCroix a day right now to, to kick the habit. <laughs> yeah, my LaCroix budget's been ridiculous for the past couple weeks. So that that and the Copenhagen, that hadn't been doing me any favors either, but I'm not quitting that, so. <laughs> that's funny i thought about doing it with you i was like nah i don't have any czar yeah i needed to i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna drink obviously when we come up uh to virginia for the work weekend but i'm pretty much gonna try to stay off the the sauce for for the most part at least casually drinking and only drink during deliberate times when i'm with buddies or at you know events uh i've got a hog hunt in uh, March that I'm probably going to go have a couple beers at. But other than that, I really want to focus on my training and focus on one of my goals. I, I talked about a couple episodes ago, get below 12% body fat this year. So I'm really going to focus my body composition. And I don't think I can do that if I'm slugging beers like I usually do. Yeah. I hear you on that, man. I, I definitely cut back hard this year. I've, I've cut back on the drinking big time, but um, I'm with you. It, it definitely helps with how you just feel generally. But so what are, what are your, some of your training goals, Luke? I'm curious about that. Yeah, so I mean, you heard on the podcast uh, with Pete that I'm gonna I'm doing the going for a 1500 pound powerlifting total. Um, I think I mean uh, 400 bench, 500 squat, and 600 deadlift, and then uh, a marathon. I'm running the marathon in June, all in the same week. So yeah. I'm training for both at the same time, which is is already proven to be difficult just for time. I need to lift more. I really need to focus on my bench. My squat, my deadlift won't be too hard to get there. I've been, my uh, PR is a 595 deadlift and a 525 or 535 squat somewhere in there. And so like I can hit those numbers, but my bench is significantly weaker um, just because I never really focused on it. So I got to get that up a lot. And then obviously my running is a big, Twenty six point two miles is pretty far for my fat ass. So that's just getting the mileage in and the training and trying to run um, pretty much every day. I, once we get off here, I'm going to go knock out uh, four or five miles and and really try to get more mileage in for the next few weeks and then focus on some more interval splits. And uh, we'll do another podcast where I can kind of break down what my training looks like. Uh, we'll probably have Pete back on. And we can talk about how he's training versus how I'm training. Nice. And then after the marathon, the reason I chose one of the reasons I decided to do this is because it's going to set me well up. Um, I'm going to do something with the army in August. That's uh, I don't want to go into a ton of detail, but I'm, I'm going to need to be pretty fit for. It. And so I'm really trying to. I figure with the powerlifting and the marathon, that's really going to get my my strength and my endurance where I want it as a baseline. And then it's going to kind of leapfrog me for me to then start focusing on like the sport specific training of what I'm going to be doing in August. And then uh, a few months afterwards, I'll have a, a second part of it. So I'm pretty excited for all that and uh, we'll see how it goes. But to me, my biggest focus, and I, I've mentioned this before, is just consistency over intensity. I tend to go balls out really hard for a few months and then I burn out and then I just fucking yo-yo with my training and my my body composition where I just eat like dog shit. So I'm really focusing for 2021 on consistency. I think that's awesome, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. Doing a marathon, you can have that. I have absolutely zero desire to run a marathon. One of my old commanders was a big runner. And I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but on his 30th birthday, he ran 30 miles and like just on a whim, just like woke up and decided, yeah, I'm going to go for a 30 miler. (laughs) That's not, that's not for me, man, but that's, that's awesome. That's, that's cool to hear. I'm, I'm curious to, to see how, 
how that goes for you. How is the, so how has the carnivore diet been affecting your training and like, especially your cardio? Honestly, not that bad. Um, I think it's because I haven't. So I was doing not carnivore, but something pretty similar back when I was training, uh, this time last year and I was getting some heavy mileage in and really the distance where I would really start to feel fatigued without consuming any carbohydrates was, was past six miles. I can do five to six pretty well in like a fasted slash ketogenic type state. Um, I've been measuring my ketones. I'm not purposely staying in ketosis. I don't really care because when you consume a lot of protein, your body will actually convert it into glucose. If cause to stay in like true keto, I think it's a 60, 40 ratio of protein to fat, something like that. I may be wrong, but it, it's somewhere in that regard. And I'm, I'm definitely not that high fat. I do a lot of venison. Um, I do do a lot of ribeyes as well, but venison and eggs and stuff. So my fat is it's probably more 60 protein, 40, 40 fats. So I'm sure I'm sliding in and out. Uh, but I, I haven't noticed a big difference, which I really expected to. Um, my energy levels are stable. I feel good, but I haven't done any of those really long runs. And I, I've kind of purposely, because I'm doing carnivore through the end of January, going to hold off on anything beyond six until I can start consuming a little bit of carbs. I'm still going to be very deliberate, stay mostly protein and fats, and then only eat my carbohydrates nested like pre and maybe immediately post-workout to replace some of that muscle glycogen. Though I don't think that's as important as it kind of gets touted. A lot of the bro science is you got to have this eating window and that's, I mean, there's a lot of argument and debate, but it's not as important as I think it kind of gets hyped up to be. So you do need carbs, but we need less carbs than we think we do. And and depending on the way your body is, I don't think we actually need as many carbs. Like you guys, I mean, shit, Evan, if you don't eat 5,000 calories a day, like you drop like four or five pounds in a week, it's wild. Yeah, man. I, I was actually just talking to my platoon sergeant, also one of my really good buddies, um, about it. He was making fun of me because of how much I eat. And it, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. For me to maintain body weight, I have to eat right at around 4,000 calories, give or take. And for me to gain, I have to eat over 4,500 calories a day. And it's just, I know this is, there's going to be some people that hear this and probably, oh man, cry baby. But it, it actually makes it very difficult, especially when you try to maintain a certain level of fitness um, and, and things like that. And I try not to drop below 200 pounds um, for me, but dude, I didn't realize one thing I learned about myself in the last few years is that I needed less carbs and more fats, which was kind of surprising for me. I figured to help gain and the, you know, the, obviously the clean proteins and stuff like that, but it's been, you're right, dude. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely super challenging and it's, <laughs> I know it's going to piss a lot of people off, but it's, it's hard to eat 5,000 calories a day, man. It's just hard to do. Yeah, I believe it, man. Like I was, so when Anthony was running my programming, he wanted me to get my body weight and protein, which at the time I think I was 215. And so I was trying to shoot for 220 just to get a little bit over. And I had never really measured my macros and I, I eat a lot of meat and I just assumed that I was consuming enough protein. And when you eat other stuff, like it is hard to consume 220 grams of protein a day. Like I was sitting there, it'd be like before bed, I've got a, you know, shake full of casein, just like trying to slug this thing down, just dreading every second, every swallow. Like it can, it can be hard to, when you've got, and I've never had to, I can gain weight watching you two eat. So like, I don't have an issue gaining. I'm a very easy gainer. I can gain strength quickly and fat very quickly. 
but just can, when you're trying to force yourself to eat a certain way, it can be kind of a mind fuck. And that's what I've really actually liked about the carnivore diet for me is it's, it's thoughtless. It's just like I eat meat and eggs and that's it. I don't have to put any thought. I keep a bunch of steaks thawed, venison thawed. I'll smoke a whole chicken. You know, if I need to grab a quick meal, I'll just smash an entire rotisserie chicken, like a fucking caveman. And like, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. And that's why I've liked it so far. Dude, I bet having that Traeger has been awesome for carnivore. Yeah, dude, I run that thing almost 24-7. I was smoking, uh, I, I did a bunch of ribs and then some wild a wild pig shoulder the other day, and we've been eating on that. It's pretty awesome. Perry, when are you getting a Traeger? I don't know, man. The one I've, the one I've got has been working out pretty well for me. I've actually got some some stuff on the smoke right now that hopefully by the time we, we wrap this thing up and, and go check it, it'll be getting close to done. But I don't know. It, I, I could see... For someone, you know, like you guys with, with your military, um, I can see the benefits with the technology that's available in those grills. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, especially oh, – sorry, go ahead, Luke. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy with being able to control it from my phone. And I used to – when I was at uh, the captain's career course, I would be in class. Before I'd go in, I would throw a pork ass because I was killing a lot of pigs in Georgia. I'd have it on there and I could control the temp from my phone as I increase the temp and then come home to like a perfectly smoked, you know, pork shoulder or pork butt. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's badass. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm, if I was thinking about maybe trying to do carnivore with you or maybe just trying it um, on my own for a month at some point, cause that's kind of intriguing. Um, but while we're on the subject of meat, so give me some, no home with Luke, give me some recipes for, uh, an antelope roast. I just got an antelope roast out of the freezer and I'm, I've heard that, I know you were talking about they're super sagey and kind of gamey loop. Yeah. So I actually haven't cooked any of my roasts with the antelope yet. I, I was, uh, I've done the tenderloin in a backstrap, but the way, is this like a big chunk that you would uh, usually crock pot or is it one that you can do like steaks with? Um, let's see. It's, it's probably about the size of a uh, half a dinner plate, something like that, you know, about, four to six inches. Yeah. So if I was going to do it in the crock pot, um, I would just do kind of the usual similar uh, style to how, how you do uh, venison in the crock pot. So use some sort of stock. Um, I use, I make a lot of venison stock, so I'll use stock for liquid, add in some Worcestershire, do a little horseradish, a uh, little mustard, uh, some, some spicy mustard, just kind of like a little heat. I know you do too. And then you can add in whatever veggies you'd like. If you want to do uh you know, kind of like a pot roast style and then just cook it down till it's tender. And I think having the liquid base and then the veggies, it'll help absorb a little bit of that sage taste and won't be as overpowering as it can be. I think when you just do it straight, because I, I like the taste of sage. Sage is one of my favorite herbs, but like a lot of people don't and they think it's too much. So I think if you had it cooked in with a bunch of vegetables, maybe some potatoes, it would really help break up some of that flavor. I'm interested to try some of some of y'all's antelope because it, it's. I mean, I believe it totally, but it's it's crazy to me that that just from from their diet they can pick up that much of that sage flavor that ultimately ends up in their meat. I mean, that's that's pretty wild. It's going to be interesting to try. Well, that mule deer that my buddy Carter killed when we were up in Wyoming, he gave me uh, some of the, the the hams from that, and I mean, it's sagey, man. Just the mule deer when they eat that diet of. I mean, I think. Well, the antelope where I was, they, they probably eat almost 100% sage because there's literally nothing else there. Nothing, excuse me, nothing else out there in eastern Colorado. And then the same with those mule deer. 
the ones that are living in kind of the low country, all they're eating sage. And so I, I think it'd be interesting to kind of compare and contrast like a low country mule deer to a high country mule deer and see if there's any difference in the way they taste based on their diet. Yeah, that would be for sure. Cause we've, I mean, I've definitely heard the, you know, the stories people talk about how they prefer whitetails over muleys to eat myself. Um, but it would be interesting to see how much of that, you know, the people that, that don't prefer the muleys, how much of that might be just be based on, on their diet, uh, regionally or geographically. That'd be, that'd be an interesting comparison to make. I think some of it might just be eating kind of something that's different because I honestly liked the mule deer and the antelope more than whitetail. And that's probably because I've eaten hundreds of whitetails or at least, you know, hundreds of whitetail meals and I've only had antelope a handful of times from the one I killed. And then I had, you know, the two meals out of the mule deer that uh, Carter killed. So that there could be something to that where it's just something different than what you're used to. Yeah. That's wild, man. And kind of surprising to hear. Cause like when Chad came out for that first time and uh, hunted whitetail with us after hunting muleys and antelope and elk his entire life, he said that the whitetail was phenomenal. So it might be just something different. He just had some good cooks that weekend. So <laughs> yeah, Honestly, though, dude, we, um, you know, we ended up killing a couple deer that weekend. I remember clearly, and I know, Luke, we did the, uh, I think we did the heart from one you got, and I fried up some of those livers, and we had a, we had a smorgasbord, and it was, man, we ate good that weekend. That was a good time, so I'm definitely glad he enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I've admit, you know, but the time before that, uh, or two, it was when I was there, so it was over four years ago, but, um, my buddy Sam came up too, but yeah, I was thinking about, dude, I was thinking about throwing this, uh, you were talking about, you do a lot of tacos in the crock pot with some of your, uh, shoulder and neck Perry. So I was thinking about maybe attempting an antelope fajita night. Yeah, that might be good. Usually what I do when I like to do some of the, the Southwestern stuff is, you know, do a good hard sear on it, either on the grill or just in the, in the skillet, cast iron or whatever. Um, and then, toss it in the crock pot all day with, with some good Southwestern seasonings and some sort of citrus is always good for that acid. And then, uh, you know, if you have some, some spicy peppers, um, laying around, whatever, you know, whatever heat tolerance you want for that based on who you're feeding and then let that go all day. It might, might be good. Do some, do some carnitas or something like that. Hell yeah, man. How do you do? So you, Luke, you said you do, uh, venison stock. Yeah. So, um, that's something I've really gotten into over the past year or two, I guess I've done a couple different, uh, stocks. And so with my stock, I save the femur bones and sometimes the shoulder bones. If I bone out the shoulders, usually I just leave the shoulders in, but like if I, if I do bone it out, cause I want more grind or whatever, um, I'll take those bones and I'll, I'll crack them and then I just boil them or it's not, not a boil. So you, you, I get a big stock pot, put all the bones in there, a little bit of meat on there is fine. And then let that just cook down for like, I don't know, 10, 15 hours. I mean, I let it go for a long time. I don't really think you can let it go too long. Uh, eventually, you'll start to get the particulates and stuff in there. But um, I use a, a different process to clarify. So I'm not super worried about too much getting broken down. And I'll add in whatever vegetables we've got in the kitchen. So like uh, some starchy ones are good. I'll throw in carrots, celery, really whatever's laying around. Uh, do fresh herbs from the garden. And just let that all cook in. So having those uh, aromatics is really good. Uh, rosemary, sage, uh, I'm trying to think what else, uh, thyme, all those are, are great to add in. It's really kind of whatever 
whatever I've got on hand. I don't have a recipe for this. And as that boils down, you start to get that really good kind of dark, you know, color that almost looks like tea. And that's when you know it's starting to, to get there. And then I'll pull it off. I strain it through a large kind of wire strainer to get all the big solids out, dump all that. And then I'll uh, then strain it through cheesecloth several times. And as you chain it, strain it through the cheesecloth, you start to get it pretty, um, pretty, it's not, it's not gonna be clear at this point, but it's going to be, you're going to get all the solids out. Then what you do, this is really interesting. I did this for the first time this year and it made a world of difference. You take egg whites. So no yolks, just the egg whites. You bring it back to a simmer and you drop the egg whites in there and you stir it up. And those, the egg whites will start to cook, but they will collect all the particles that are in the stock itself. Then I'll strain it through cheesecloth again. And then, then you're left with this really beautiful, clear stock that is awesome. And I, uh, doing carnivore, I drink stock in the morning, uh, usually for breakfast. I'll do a cup of coffee and a, a cup of hot stock. So it's pretty awesome. It's got a ton of health benefits because as you're cooking down all the connective tissue that's left in the meat and on the, uh, the bones itself, all that is it's collagen and it cooks down into gelatin. So all that stuff that people like take buy, spend a lot of money as supplements, like it's all right there and gets thrown away all the time. I actually took my scraps this year that I usually feed to the dogs and I was watching something on meat eater and it's that, uh, that cook or the chef that owns the wild, he, he does all the Texas uh, exotics in his restaurant. I can't remember his name, but they were cutting up the Neil guy that uh, Steve killed. And he was like, Oh yeah, we'll save all this for, for stock. And I was like, huh. And so he cooked down all the scraps because all that silver skin and connective tissue also cooks down into collagen and gelatin. And so you can consume it all pretty much, except for like the real big, thick, tough pieces. And I was like, Oh, I'll just cook this all down and then make stock out of this with no bones and just the meat. Well, what was left over was super edible pulled venison from all that scrap. It was wild. I called Perry and was like, Hey dude, like this is, this is unbelievable. I don't know what to do with all this. Like now I have like six pounds of meat that I would usually have just thrown in the woods or I mean, uh, thrown to the dogs and you know, it's, it's perfectly edible. So I just froze it all. And so now I have bags of it ready to pull out, put, you know, seasoning and barbecue sauce on. How much stock did you get from all that? Cause I mean, that, you know, even just one deer, but if, if you get multiple deer, like we usually try to every year, it, it does, you're right. It ends up being, you know, pounds of that stuff. How much, how much stock did you actually get? Uh, so all from the six pounds of the, uh, the scraps this year that I did not counting the bones, I think I got, uh, two to three gallons of stock. Yeah. Wow. That's all that. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to try that for, uh, for next year. I don't think I, I don't guess I saw that episode. So that's, that's a, that's a cool trick. I'd be good yeah. to know for sure. I filled up one of those big canning stock pots and that's what I did it in. And so you going to do that with, uh, with any hogs, if y'all go down to Texas and, and try to get some hogs down there or does that not work as well? I don't know. I don't know if I would do pig stock. I will do uh, wild pig lard. I did that with a lot of my uh, Georgia pigs and everybody throws the fat away. I also save the fat and cut it in with my venison for sausage. Um, you can get a lot of fat off of a pig. The biggest thing is just making sure that they're not eating a bunch of, you know, rotten stuff. And so the rule of thumb is I smell it. Ronella says he fries up a little piece and tries it. I think I can kind of tell off the smell. As long as it doesn't have a weird off smell, I'll, uh, 
I did a lot of wild pig rendering and you can get some beautiful lard out of that wild pig fat. And it's great to cook with, man, especially like doing a carnivore diet. I use it all the time. Well, dude, that fat that your dad gave us, um, I made some lard with some of that from, from the fat we got last year. And if I don't use all the, the stuff I got this year, I'm planning to make some more that, that, that beef fat that he gave us that grass fed beef, man, that's makes some of the best lard out there. That stuff's awesome. Yeah. My dad is a grass fed beef farmer. Um, he's retired from the army, still works has a full-time kind of day job and then he runs a farm on the side. And, uh, so yeah, he, he was able to supply me, Perry and Evan all with some beef or well, yeah, with some beef tallow from the, the beef we slaughtered this year. So it's pretty awesome. We've got that on deck. I'm going to make some lard and then use it to cut into my venison burger as well. Yeah, man, I used it for uh, those two deer I got this season, um, along with some pork fat that I forgot I had in the freezer and I did like a, a half and half, um, on beef and pork, half of it with beef, half of it with pork. But going back to the stock, man, um, you should put that on the HLE forum or up on the website because I know I'm super interested in that. And I might still, um, if you can put that in some sort of a recipe um, with a kind of an instruction manual for dummies, then, dude, I know I would take advantage of that. Or even if you don't want to post it on there, send it to me in an email. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, with the Hunt Lift Eat forum that Evan was just talking about, I made a Facebook group. I don't know. I don't know, a few weeks ago, uh, that's called the hunt, lift, eat forum. So guys go check that out. It's, it's still pretty young, but I'm trying to grow that into a place for everybody to just swap recipes, training tips, tactics, you know, hunting, all all that stuff. So that's kind of what we're trying to build out there. And with the recipes. So I have a spot on the website that said recipes coming soon for pretty much since I launched the website in 2019. So they are coming. It's just sitting down and having the time to really get caught up that I can start formatting and building all these out. I have a bunch bookmarked and scribbled down. And the other thing is my biggest problem is I don't do anything precisely. I just know how I do everything and it changes a little bit each time. So what I really need to do is start measuring everything out because like saying like, oh yeah, I put a dash of Worcestershire. Like nobody knows what the fuck that means. So really starting to work on my uh, measurements. And then I think long-term I, ca- I kind of have an idea for a cookbook, um, like a, a legit cookbook from hunt, lift, eat. That'd probably be years down the road as we really start to develop everything. But I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely, man. I could contribute a few recipes in there. My, my squirrel dumplings that I make, which by the way, I'm going to have to cook for y'all. If we get a mess of squirrels that weekend that we go up in February. Yeah, we need to for sure. I, I, it's been a while since we've had a, since I've had a good mess of squirrels. That'd be fun. Man, the last time I went squirrel hunting, Perry, was with dad over at his property. And I mean, we got into the gray squirrels. We had to, we had to call it a day. I mean, we were going to spend most of the day squirrel hunting, but we had to call it a day because I mean, we shot so many, we like, we, we couldn't shoot anymore for (laughs) just for purposes of carrying them out. Um, and dude, I made a, so what I do is I take a crescent roll. And then, so obviously, uh, boil them, whatever you want to do for your whole squirrel or, you know, whatever, and then just, um, cook them in a cast iron skillet with whatever seasonings you want and kind of fry it in like an olive oil, really high heat and just sear the outsides and then wrap them in a crescent roll or a bacon or a, not bacon or a biscuit type dough individually with like a jalapeno or, um, I did a jalapeno cream cheese and uh like a little quarter slice of bacon and then you wrap them up in that crescent roll or biscuit man put them in the oven and holy crap they're good they're so good yeah that sounds good for sure definitely sounds like something that'd be uh that'd be right up our alley I'm, I'm looking forward to that weekend hopefully we can 
we can make time for some squirrel hunting and, and do that. But that's that'd be a good time. Did you ever pick up that Tika twenty two, Perry? No, not yet. Still looking for one. Yeah, I'm gonna have to grab my dad's seventeen. I thought about trying to fly out with my Ruger ten twenty two, and I don't think it's worth it. I sh- surely I can borrow a twenty two from one of our uh, one of our kin folk. Yeah, I don't know if y'all have heard. It's kind of it's kind of hard to find guns and ammo right now. So yeah, it's yeah. unreal. So dad got me a allegedly got me a three hundred blackout uh, shorty barrel for Christmas, and I was like, oh, I'll grab a pistol lower and be able to build it out. And I wanted to take it to my hog hunt in March. Well, I'm doing a spending freeze in January to kind of get our money fixed just because of the holidays and all the travel and everything. So I was, was going to wait to buy it till February and I picked it all out. I went and checked yesterday. Everything is, they went from having on Palmetto State, everything in stock to nothing. There's nothing in stock. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I don't know if I'm going to have this uh, 300 blackout shorty built out or not. When's that hog hunt? Uh, It's going to be... In, towards the, for, the first part of March, I'll be flying down to uh, to Texas, and uh, we're still trying to we're waiting on the word to see if we're going to be able to bring Evan out on this one or not. Um, it, it's kind of just limited invite only, and potentially have an extra spot for him or, or not. We're not sure, but hopefully we can get him. If not on this one, then one of the later ones. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. I'm, I would be. I mean, obviously, I, I'd be super grateful for anything, but it kind of stinks because I've <laughs> I've missed invited hunts so much lately with like going out west with chad and then like i was going to come out to colorado or going to go to georgia actually i forgot about that i was at uh that work training event happened in, on when i was going to come down and i guess i was really hunting and you were just trapping pigs um but still man i'm i'm definitely ready to expand and <laughs> do something not that i'm burnt out on whitetail and squirrel hunting but definitely like to get something new man well that's the cool thing about texas man like Texas kind of gets a bad rap for, you know, hunting over corn and all the high fence stuff. But after going down there and experiencing it, I have a completely different takeaway. And, you know, I still don't a hundred percent know how I feel about high fence, but I was reading an article from a guy who was really against it. And uh, he went out and decided to do one to kind of put his kind of money where his mouth is. He's like, if I'm going to denounce this, then I need to actually understand what it's about. And he had a completely different perspective after going after exotics. Cause he's, one of the, I got offered to go on a, a Africa hunt and my biggest snag, I don't have anything against hunting in Africa whatsoever. I think it's awesome. The, what the, the, the conservation dollars, like keep these species from going extinct. It's very important. But me personally, hunting to me is almost solely about the, the meat. Um, obviously different experiences and, and, and experiencing fantastic places to go on these cool hunts. But I, with uh, the Africa hunts, you can't bring the meat home. And then it goes to a good cause. It gets eaten. The villagers get to eat it and all that. But it's like, why am I, I don't really want to fly and go do all this and then not be able to keep the meat. Well, with these exotics hunts in Texas, you can actually then hunt these species, get some interaction with them and then keep the meat afterwards, which is really appealing to me. And then you're looking at these, these ranches that are 15,000 acres and the home range of some of these species are, you know, a thousand acres and like they'll, they'll never see any of the fence sides. And so that that's kind of changed my perspective on that paradigm a little bit and i still don't know if i want to do a high fence hunt but i'm I'm far more open to it than i ever have been and i think it'd be cool because we can do that shit year-round you can go down and hunt exotics you know in the spring and in the summer and so it might be if we decided to do something like that it would kind of open up another avenue yeah absolutely man i i agree with you I, i'm it's one of those things where like something about shooting an animal knowing that it's inside a fence but at the same time i mean i eat beef and i can't tell you i've ever seen a wild cow out there so 
I mean, exactly. And I, I think the biggest thing is just not re- misrepresented it. Like, don't be out there and be like, oh, I killed this, you know, free range black buck. Like, it's like, yeah, I shot this on a 15,000 acre high fence and, you know, it, it was, it was over a feeder or it wasn't like, I don't have a whole, I don't have, I have zero interest to kill. Like, I think there's something I've learned. There's a difference between pen animals and then high fence operations. Like the pen animals where they're like literally raised and then they're on like a, a, a timer where they just know that they're going to show up and there's this feeder is going to go off this exact time. And they, they're in this small little enclosure and some dude spends $25,000 to shoot this farmed whitetail that looks like you know, the rack is so huge and distorted. It looks like tits on a porn star, man. Like it's like the fakest thing I've ever seen. And so there's something different than that, than a high fence operation that everything's free range within this massive 15,000 acre ranch. And the reality is if, if, like you said, if it's a species that doesn't have, you know, a, a, a range that's incorporating the entirety of that high fence operation, and they've got everything that they need from a habitat perspective, from a cover perspective, from, you know, food escape routes, uh, et, et cetera. And then if, you know, does the animal really know the difference? Is there any, at that point, if fair chase is being employed, I mean, I know in Texas, you know, a lot of times you do have those feeders. Um, but yeah, I, I personally, I've never hunted on one of those high fence operations, but you know, I, I can see those circumstances where I, I don't think, I don't think I would have a hard time sleeping at night afterwards. No, definitely not, man. And it's, I, I think you, you both hit the nail on the head with it. I mean, it's, if with some of these properties, they're so big and you look at the home range on some of these animals, they're less than, a, you know, a thousand square miles, significantly less than a thousand square miles. So they, they have all the room they need to not only survive, but thrive in an environment where they don't know the difference. You know, they're not, it's not like you're shooting an animal in a zoo, you know, in a, in a cage. And at the same time, did y'all listen to that? Uh, it was one of the recent mediator podcasts where they were talking about the the verbiage and how people or you know, hunters tend to use the word harvest because it's like a it sounds nicer than killing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of guys talk about that. I mean, we even use the term sometimes. But I mean, you're fucking killing, and, and yeah, at the end of the day, the the animal doesn't know the difference whether you're sitting there like. Oh, I used a bow or I used the recurve or I used the rifle. The animal doesn't give a shit. The animal's dead, you know? So we, we tend to take this, apply these morals to hunting that nobody else, and, and we should, by the way, but like that nobody else does or no other species does in the animal kingdom. I mean, most animals get eaten alive. That's just the reality. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's, it's one of those things to where the, the reason that the term, term like harvest gets used is is to make it sound less violent or threatening i guess for all the anti-hunter types out there when all reality man like and i know the three of us have had this conversation at great length or at least similarly uh a similar conversation but it's it's one of those things for me that like the it's, it's so hard to get people to understand that hunters are what's providing all the concert i'm not going to say all but the large majority of wildlife conservation comes from hunters. I mean, a massive majority. And I would much rather see a 15,000 acre ranch that does high fence hunting more than I would um, a new subdevelopment. Because what that new subdevelopment's doing is is taking out an entire habitat. And I'm not going to get preachy on, on that, but because I know, you know, economic growth and all that. But as far as specifically hunting, it's, I definitely am open to the idea of 
of the high fence hunting for that. I think it's more humane than a lot of the other things that are going on that doesn't get any attention because it's not directly killing, I guess. It's just pushing out or all that, but that doesn't get any negative light. I don't know. Well, and a little perspective is warranted as well because if if people would be honest with, with their analysis, then they would have to realize that it's only been within the past um, century or two at least that, that we've really had the luxury of discussing uh, the morality and ethics of hunting. And, you know, it wasn't really that long ago that uh, all humans were hunters and um, it was just part of life. It was what you did to survive. And the term harvest, whether you use it or not, you know, wouldn't have even been a thought in someone's mind. You just had to go kill something so that you could cook it and eat it and, and live another day. And, um, there's a lot of benefits to the the modern society we find ourselves in, but that perspective that, that we have that luxury, especially in this country with, you know, as you alluded to, Evan, the, you know, the North American uh, model for wildlife conservation, you know, a little perspective and a little, uh, you know, appreciation um, is, is definitely warranted in my opinion. I think that's one thing that, you know, and, and Luke, and we, you know, we've all spoken about this. That's one thing that I think, um, is exciting for me about, about the, the hunt, lift, eat brand and kind of vision is that we want to bring those, those type of topics and that, you know, that discussion to light, um, in a way that, you know, it's, you, you certainly see it in some of the hunting industry, but, you know, just having the frank conversation that, um, as hunters, yeah, we, we are killing something. We are taking that life. Uh, we strive to, to utilize it. We've talked about recipes and, and at the end of the day, um, it's something that, that's part of our heritage It's part of the way we grew up as individuals. And it's also the part of the way that, you know, we grew up just, uh, you know, as, as humans. So that's, that's something that's always been kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, I agree, man. I think it's, I think it's super important to have those conversations. And I know Luke, that was one of the, the big points of, of you starting this and making it more than apparel brand. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I feel like I heard you said you're, you're using the apparel as kind of like the, the, the image, but the, the message there is a lot deeper than that. And I think that's super, super important and also extremely, you know, you should be super proud of that fact because you are getting a, a message out there more than just, you know, a bunch of rednecks going out in the woods in the back of pickup trucks with spotlights killing deer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is the, the big vision is education and pulling back the shroud and, and the veil on a lot of these topics that don't di- get discussed or that are kind of taboo, even within the hunting world. I, was, I just had an idea, like, you know, if we wanted to go down and do, uh, do a high fence hunt and, you know, see if we can find some, some outfitter that would be down to, to let us bring a camera, our camera guy down and to film it and, and see, I mean, we might do it and be like, man, I did this and I have a bad taste in my mouth. I don't think I'll ever do that again or do it and be like, man, that's nothing what I thought. And just to have that experience, just to see what that looks like. Because I think a lot of that, the Texas stuff gets a really bad rap in these days of, you know, everybody's pro public lands. There's kind of like a hipster element to, to hunting these days, which is, is fine. I love bringing in like different demographics, but like there's this idea that's almost like mystical on, on how you're supposed to hunt. And I just, I think we need to not be judgmental of different, you know, groups and, and how they hunt and what they do, as long as they're doing it in a responsible, ethical manner, especially with shots and, and their training and their preparation. 
uh, not, you know, going out there trying to shoot everything that moves. But that might be interesting to, to see if we could find um, an outfitter that would down in Texas or a, a ranch down in Texas that would be open to us, bringing uh, a camera guy or two down to film and kind of do a, a – to document the experience of high fence hunting in Texas, see what that looks like. Yeah, I like that thought. I mean, it, it would – you know, none of us have any experience with that. So we could we could give a, uh, you know, kind of a – an initial impression that it's really not coming from any sort of, of bias and, and uh, do a little pull back the curtain kind of thing. That'd be, that'd be cool. Yeah, man, actually that you said that um, I've got two contacts from working with uh, some gentlemen overseas that um, one of them is very good friend, the, the guy that owns a, a high fence ranch. And he actually invited me to come down there. It's just been one of those relationships that I haven't followed up with, but I'll, I'll reach out to him. And the other one, um, is actually, I want to say his father-in-law or a non-blood relative somehow um, has a high fence operation, but it's not in Texas. I want to say it's in, you know, I'm not even going to pretend where I remember where it is. But anyway, I'll, I'll reach out to those guys, man, if that's something you're serious pursuing. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, let's look into that. And then if anybody's listening and has any leads on, on – uh an outfit or a, a ranch that would be open and, and willing to kind of work together to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, reach out, uh, slide into my DMS, but we better start uh, wrapping this up. We're, we're at an hour, almost an hour 15 now. Um, so let's go roll through and go through some closing comments. We'll start with you, Evan. Yeah, man, honestly, just, just kind of a recap. I'm just super pumped, man. Super excited for you and the brand and being a, being part of the team. I think it's, you're putting out a lot of good information and, you know, on a, on a few different platforms here through the podcast. Now the website, like you said, the, the forum on Facebook there, I think it's good to get that word out, man. And um, I feel honored to y'all had me on the podcast here, even though I'm, you know, blood relative, but I'm on the fifth episode. I'm not going to take that personal, but uh, no. yeah, clearly. <laughs> you can uh, he- hear my voice how much i give a shit <laughs> no i'm just uh just excited man it's, it's super cool and i appreciate you having me on yeah man i'm really glad to have you on and, and i appreciate those those words man it really does mean a lot you you and perry are truly you know as close to me as my my actual brother uh james is and so it's been it's been awesome being able to grow up with you guys and learn together and make all the mistakes we have and getting the fights we've gotten into. Like I wouldn't be who I am without you two. And so I, I just do want to say, I appreciate the hell out of you guys. Um, and, and yeah, like this has been incredible and I'm really excited to see where it's going. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I echo all those same sentiments. I, I looked up a minute ago and saw we were approaching an hour and 15. It's like, man, the three of us can sit here and, and shoot the shit for hours. And it's what we've been doing our entire lives. And uh, now we just, uh, hopefully have a few people listening on the other side. It's crazy, but, um, it's good to, good to have Evan on. It was awesome to have, have him back in deer camp for the end of this season. Um, and I'm excited that, uh, he's getting a bow. We got to start, start shooting and, uh, looking forward to this work weekend, knocking out some of these projects we've been talking about. Hopefully we can get Seth to come up there and join us and maybe get a little, uh, video content. Um, I know we were kind of talking a little bit about that before, so, a lot, of, a lot of big things in the works here, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, it's going to be a, a lot of fun, and it's cool. Uh, you know, we couldn't do any of this without our listeners and our supporters and followers on Instagram and, and everybody who's bought our apparel and is supporting us. And so I just want to, like, say from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys so much. You guys are phenomenal. I, I really think that we have the best – we don't have the biggest following or the most listeners, but I think we have some of the most loyal already. It's it's pretty wild, just the number of ratings and reviews we've gotten, 
for a, a podcast in its infancy. So please continue to do that. Subscribe to this podcast. Go follow us on Instagram at HuntLiftDOfficial. And then if you want to follow my personal page, uh, that'd be awesome too. I'm, I'm Luke.D.Cox. And then Evan, you want to shout out your Instagram? All right, maybe not Evan. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so just subscribe to the podcast and uh, let us know any feedback you guys have. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. Thanks, guys.